This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. In faith, unity. In opinion, liberty. In all things, charity. This slogan, or motto, if you will, became a popular rallying cry of those who started the Restoration Movement way back in the early 1800s. And that motto is still quite popular in some circles of the Church of Christ today. Some people call it the Restoration Motto. Now that motto, in faith, unity, in opinion, liberty, in all things, charity, you're not going to find that written out word for word anywhere in the Bible. But I believe that the three different parts of that restoration motto do teach scriptural concepts. In matters of faith, we ought to strive for unity in the body of Christ. In Ephesians 4 verse 12, in fact if you back up into verse 11, it talks about how God gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come, the Bible says, in the unity of the faith. In matters of faith, we ought to strive for unity. In matters of opinion, we ought to let Christians exercise their own personal liberties. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, the Bible says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. If God has surely set set us at liberty to do something or engage in something, we certainly do not want to come behind God and make man-made rules which would restrict or regulate that liberty that He has given us. In all things, we ought to strive for charity, to show love one to another in everything that we do. Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians 13 verses 2 to 3 where he said, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, he says, And have not charity if I don't have love. He says, I am nothing. Verse 3, he says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity if I don't have love, he says, It profiteth me nothing. So yes, the Bible teaches In matters of faith, we ought to strive for unity. In matters of opinion, we ought to allow for liberty. And in all things, in all things, we need to show charity and show love. Now, it's hard to misunderstand the third part of that motto, in all things charity. Hard to misunderstand that. In all things. You know, that's matters of faith. That's matters of opinion. That's anything. That's everything. In all that we do, we ought to demonstrate and show love one to another. Where we sometimes struggle as human beings is the first two parts of that motto. The part that says in faith, unity, and in opinion, liberty. After all, what are the matters of faith? And how do we differentiate those from the matter of opinion? You know, who gets to draw the line between faith and opinion? And where exactly do you draw that line? That's sometimes where we genuinely and legitimately have our struggles, isn't it? Let me give you a few examples. There are some who honestly believe, and they're very sincere in their belief, that um, 
instrumental music in our worship services like we're having this morning or allowing a woman to stand up and teach and preach in the assemblies of the church. There are people out there who believe that that falls into the realm of opinion. Okay, There are people who believe that we're set at liberty. We're at liberty to worship God in these assemblies with instruments. They believe we're at liberty to have a woman stand up and teach and preach in the, in the church. And you know, there are many, many other doctrines, many, many other beliefs where we've got one group of people who says, this, that's a matter of faith. And we all have to agree on what the Bible teaches about that. And then there's another side that says, no, 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 that's a Christian liberty that we have. That's in the realm of opinion. You have your practice and belief. I have my practice and belief. And, and it doesn't really matter. Okay? There are many beliefs and many doctrines where we got two groups, groups of people saying those things. If we can't agree on what's a matter of faith and what's a matter of opinion, how, how are we ever going to get along? How are we ever going to have unity? The unity that the Lord wants us to have. We're going to go to God's Word this morning. We're going to go to the Bible because I believe the Bible will give us the answers that we need to decide how we're going to differentiate between faith and opinion. As the Bible has so many times before, the Bible will give us all the answers that we need. It will thoroughly furnish or completely equip us with all that we need. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, or completely equipped unto all good works. The Bible will thoroughly furnish us with all that we need to understand the difference between faith and opinion this morning. Now, if you'll take a look at the chart that I've handed out this morning, I want to draw your attention to the center, center part of the page I'm going to introduce three different areas or realms on the, on the chart. The first realm or area I want you to look at is right there in the center of the page. It's called the realm of faith. It's represented by that large outlined rectangle you have on your chart. That's the realm of faith. What is faith? The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is not an external or a material thing. Faith is an inward conviction. But you know, the Bible teaches here that faith is always born out of some tangible substance or evidence. What is the source of this substance or evidence whereby we can even have faith? The source, of course, is God's Word. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Without the substance or the evidence of God's Word, faith cannot exist. What are we going to have faith in? if we didn't have God speaking to us today through His Word. How do we know we can trust God's Word when we open it and when we read it? Well, Jesus prayed for His apostles in John 17, 17. He prayed to the Father. He said, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. God's Word is truth from cover to cover. There are no lies. There's no fairy tales in God's Word. God's Word rules, and God's Word is the source of ultimate authority here in the realm of faith. And we need to recognize that and realize that whenever we're in the realm of faith, the sole source, the ultimate authority is God's Word. God's Word. Now we have to learn how to study and rightly divide God's Word, don't we? Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to shew or demonstrate thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing, it means rightly dispensing. The Word of Truth. We have to study and rightly divide the Scriptures. 
For example, since we live under the new, new covenant of Christ today, we turn to it, don't we, for matters of faith and matters of worship. We don't turn to that old covenant law of Moses that the children of Israel lived under for 1,500 years. We turn to the new covenant. And when we go to the new covenant, when we're going to establish scriptural authority for something, we look for commands from Jesus or His apostles. We look for examples of things that Jesus and His apostles did that were approved by God. We look for necessary inferences or deductions that are necessary to sound logic and reasoning. We look for these things to find and to establish scriptural authority. That's all part of knowing how to study and rightly divide the Word of God. Okay? And whenever we're in the realm of faith, when God has spoken about something, His Word is the ultimate authority. Now, anytime we stray outside of the realm of faith, we come into the realm of sin. And you see the realm of sin illustrated there on your chart. Anytime you're outside that rectangle of faith, we've come into the realm of sin. It, if we stray away from God's Word and we stray away from the faith that it delivers to us, we're in the realm of sin. The Bible says in 1 John 3 and 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. When we transgress God's will as revealed in His Word, when we go beyond the boundaries of that will, we've left the realm of faith and we're off in the realm of sin. Now we don't want to live in the realm of sin. I don't want to live in the realm of sin and you certainly don't either. Because the Bible teaches in Romans 6 and 23, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Now for a moment I want you to shift your focus back to the middle of the page, the realm of faith. And I want you to notice within the realm of faith we have a third realm. And it's called the realm of opinion. The realm of opinion. God gives Christians the personal liberty to judge and engage or not engage in certain things. And th those things would fall into the realm of opinion. The realm of opinion, if you'll notice on your chart, falls within the boundaries of the realm of faith. And there's two important reasons for that. Okay, Number one, God's Word always helps us define the boundaries between faith and opinion. God's Word always is what we look to to decide if something's a matter of faith or opinion. Number two, when we are exercising any liberty that we have within the realm of opinion here, we always rely on overarching wise and godly principles that He has revealed to us in His Word. Even if we're at liberty to do something, we need to exercise godly discretion and, and go by the principles of His Word to judge us and guide us on how to exercise that opinion or that liberty that God has given us. Now I want to tell you something that's different about the realm of opinion. In the realm of faith, God's Word was the ultimate source of authority. In the realm of opinion, a man's own conscience rules in that realm. A man's own conscience rules in the realm of opinion. And we're going to talk more about what that means as we go through, that, go through this lesson this morning. Now sinful things or unauthorized things can never be put into the realm of opinion, okay? Only things that are allowed by God but not necessarily required would fall into the realm of opinion. The Bible gives us several examples of things that fall into the realm of opinion. I want to point them out to you this morning. The first one would be dietary restrictions. 
dietary restrictions. It's talked about and mentioned in Romans chapter 14, what you eat or drink, what you don't eat, what you don't drink. That's in the realm of opinion. Observing holy days, holidays, such as the Sabbath. Romans chapter 14 also deals with that. Bible clearly teaches that's something that falls into the realm of opinion. The practice of circumcision. When we look at Acts chapter 15 and Galatians chapter 5, the Bible teaches us also that falls into the realm of opinion. That's not in the matter in the realm of faith. Also, eating meats offered to idols. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. These are liberties. In fact, if you study the New Testament, what you'll find is that these liberties here in the realm of opinion actually created a lot of controversy in the first century church. There was a lot of controversy, a lot of disagreement over these very things that we've just mentioned. Okay? You had groups of people who thought and believed that, well, you had to, you had to live this way concerning those matters, and then you had a group of people who said, well, no, those things really don't matter to God. You had one group that said these are matters of faith and we all need to be united about it. You had one group that said, no, these are opinions. It really doesn't matter. Okay? We'll talk more about these as we go through the lesson. Now let's fast forward, though, to today. Those things generally are not issues that we struggle with today. Eating meats offered to idols, thank goodness, isn't something we have a lot of controversy about today. But, you know, there are certain things, I believe, that would fall into the realm of opinion that sometimes can be controversial. Let me give you a few examples. I believe how we educate our children would fall into the realm of opinion. Are we going to send our children to public school? Are we going to send them to private school? Are we going to homeschool our children? Okay? I don't believe we can go to the New Testament and find a book, chapter, and verse that tells us one way or another whether we should send our kids to public, private, or homeschool. Bible does teach us to train up our children in the way they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. Bible teaches us to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Yes, but how to accomplish all that, the Bible doesn't specifically tell us or teach us. So I decide for my family what's best for us to educate our children, and you decide what's best for your family. It's in the realm of opinion. Military service for Christians. Should a Christian serve or not serve in the military? Some Christians have passionate beliefs one way or another about that. But I, I don't believe we could go to the, the New Testament and point to a specific verse that tells us yes or no about that. I believe that's in the realm of opinion. The celebration of secular holidays. Some Christians celebrate secular holidays. Some, some Christians do not. Okay, I believe that falls into the realm of opinion. Our personal health care. Whether or not we're going to take or not take medication. Whether or not we will take or won't take a vaccine. Okay, now people may feel very strongly about that one way or another. Okay, and that's fine for us to have our opinion about that. But I don't believe we can go to the Word of God and say, there's the book, chapter, and verse that says that we should or we must have a vaccine, or, or there's the book, chapter, and verse that says we should not take a vaccine. And if God hasn't told us one way or the other what to do concerning medication or vaccine or, or homeschool or military service or secular holidays, if He hadn't told us one way or another, then it falls into the realm of opinion, and our own conscience will determine whether or not we engage or do not engage in those type of activities. God is indifferent, I believe, when it comes to these things. You know, talk uh, another one that uh, has been really popular lately, I would say, that would fall into the realm of opinion would be politics, our different political ideologies, okay? Whether we lean toward, a little more toward this party or a little more toward that party, or maybe we don't have a party at all. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I think there's a difference between what's right and wrong in the sight of God. And some political discussions could very well be framed as, is this practice 
right or wrong in the sight of God. But you know, a lot of politics is not about what's right and wrong in the sight of God. It's more about what's good or bad for our country. Is the law or the decision good or bad for our country? Many political uh, opinions are going to simply fall in, in that realm, the realm of opinion. Okay? God allows a Christian's own conscience to guide their, their judgment in matters like these. Okay, Look at Romans 14 and 5. Concerning things that fall into the realm of opinion, the context here is meats and drinks and holy days. Look at what Paul said. Concerning these things, let every man be fully persuaded or convicted in his own mind. Let every man be fully persuaded or convicted in his own mind. See, a man's own conscience rules here in the realm of opinion. Now, the standard by which we tell faith from opinion is the Word of God. And if we'll follow that standard, we can be at peace in the church and, and God is pleased when we have unity and when we're walking in the paths of His Word. But if we, if we deviate from the Word of God when it comes to deciding what is faith and what is opinion, division and error are going to abound. Okay? When we deviate from the Word, Division and error always abound. I'm going to show you this morning three ways in which we can err from the truth if we're not careful in these matters. Three different errors that you're going to find there on the chart in front of you. I want to introduce you to the first error. It's on the left-hand side of the, of the chart there, and that would be the error of legalism. The error of legalism. Legalism is taking matters of opinion and trying to move them up here into the realm of faith. Okay? That's legalism. Some people call it binding where God has not bound or making a law where God has not done so. I want to show you three biblical examples of legalism this morning. First example we have is the binding of circumcision. Binding of circumcision. There were actually teachers and preachers in the first century church that took circumcision out of the realm of opinion and tried to move it up into the realm of faith. We read about this in Acts 15 verse 1 where it says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. There were men in the first century church going around teaching and preaching. You can't be saved without being circumcised. Okay. Now this was 100% false doctrine. And the apostles met in Jerusalem in Acts 15 to discuss this matter. And by inspiration, they wrote letters to all the churches to address this false doctrine of binding circumcision. In Acts 15, 24, we have part of that letter there recorded. The apostles wrote to all the churches saying, For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, Ye must be circumcised and keep the law. To whom we, the apostles, to whom we gave no such commandment. These false teachers were commanding circumcision when God, through His Spirit working in the apostles, they had not commanded or bound circumcision on Christians. They were guilty of legalism. Now circumcision was required under the old covenant law of Moses, but circumcision does not bring a new covenant Christian any closer to God. That's what Paul tried to explain to the Galatians. The same issue was a problem with the churches in Galatia. And Paul wrote to him in Galatians 5 and 6, and he said, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. It don't matter. 
It don't matter. God is indifferent. Be circumcised. Don't be. It, it doesn't matter. Doesn't bring you any closer to God. Doesn't push you any further away from Him. A man is at liberty to practice or not practice circumcision. Second example of legalism I want to show you was binding dietary restrictions. New Covenant Christians today aren't bound to obey the Old Covenant food laws or dietary restrictions. Scriptures teach us as Christians today there's nothing unclean for us to eat or drink. Romans 14, 14, Paul said, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Paul knew this. He says, I know there's nothing unclean for me to eat. But you know, not every Jewish Christian had that knowledge in the first century. There were first century Christians whose conscience might not have allowed them to eat certain things. And that was due to their long-held Jewish habits and customs. Okay, For example, the Apostle Peter. The Lord appeared to Peter in a vision in Acts chapter 10 and presented unclean animals and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, Not so, Lord. I don't want to do it. Peter would have been perfectly fine to kill and eat those unclean animals. Nothing unclean in and of itself. But you know, Peter, due to his long-held Jewish diet, his conscience condemned him to eat unclean foods. So we got some Christians in the first century church who eat anything and everything. Their conscience is good with that. We got other Christians here whose conscience condemns them for eating certain things. How, how are they going to get along? How are they going to get along? And how are we going to have unity? Paul wrote Romans 14 to address that and explain it. Romans 14 verse 1, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things. That's Paul. He can eat anything. Another who is weak eateth herbs. He won't eat meat. His conscience condemns him to eat meat. What are they going to do? He gives us the answer. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. Christians are at liberty to eat or not eat certain foods according to their own conscience. You eat what you're going to eat, I'm going to eat what I'm going to eat. And we just need to leave it at that. We just need to leave it at that. This verse here warns us not to make it a matter of faith about what we eat and don't eat and not to judge one another for what we do or don't eat. God put dietary restrictions here in the realm of opinion. And look, that's where we need to keep them. Because if we try to move those up here into the realm of faith, we're guilty of the error of legalism. We're legalists. Third example of legalism. Binding holy days such as the Sabbath. Some denominations today bind the Old Covenant Sabbath on New Covenant Christians, but God does not do so in His Word. In fact, the Bible says in Colossians 2.14 that when Jesus died, he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. When Jesus died, that old covenant law that commanded the children of Israel to keep the Sabbath, that law was nailed to and crucified, and it died on the cross where Jesus did. That law was taken out of the way. Jesus blotted it out took it out of the way when He died on the cross. And because that law which commanded Sabbath-keeping was taken out of the way when Jesus died, Paul was able to go on to say in verse 16, Let no man therefore judge you. In what? In meat 
or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days. How was Paul able to say that we're not to judge one another in meats, drinks, holy days, new moons, and keeping the Sabbath? Because Jesus died and took the law out of the way which commanded all those things. Now, if people wanted to keep on observing the Sabbath, if Jews wanted to continue to observe the Sabbath and refrain from eating pork, that was fine for them to do. Perfectly fine for them to do. But they needed to realize that God no longer bound those things on New Covenant Christians. Okay, Because it falls into the realm of opinion. Romans 14 verse 5, One man esteemeth one day above another. He observes a holy day. Another man esteemeth every day alike. He doesn't observe holy days. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. It's Paul's way of saying, listen, it doesn't matter whether we celebrate or observe holy days or holidays such as the Sabbath. It doesn't matter. It's in the realm of opinion. God is indifferent. Christians at liberty to observe or not observe based on their conscience. We need to leave that in the realm of opinion, not try to make it a matter of faith. So let me summarize the error of legalism here. We cannot take this realm of opinion and narrow it down and make it any smaller than what God makes it in His Word. Okay? If we do that, if we're constantly taking things that are in the realm of opinion where we have liberty and trying to make them laws, where God has not done so, if we're constantly shrinking the realm of opinion down smaller and smaller, we're guilty of the error of legalism. Okay? We're outside the realm of faith. We're over here in the error of legalism. And anytime we're outside the realm of faith, we're in the realm of sin. So if we're legalistic, we're in the realm of sin. We want to avoid being legalistic in the way we live our lives and what we teach and in what we practice. I want to introduce a second error to you on the opposite side of the page, the right-hand side of the page. And that's the error of lawlessness. The error of lawlessness. Now, lawlessness is the extreme opposite of legalism. Okay, Legalism was taking matters of opinion and moving them up into the realm of faith. Now, lawlessness is taking matters of faith and trying to move them down into the realm of opinion. And you see the arrows depicting that there on your chart. Some people call it loosing where God has not loosed or allowing things which God does not allow for in His Word. I want to show you this morning three different examples of lawlessness. The first one would be loosing sinful lifestyles. We cannot use Christian liberty, the liberty God has given us in some areas of life, to justify sinful lifestyles such as homosexuality. Okay? Look at Galatians 5.13. Paul said, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. And certainly in some areas of our life, we've been called to liberty and we have liberty. But Paul says, Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Now somebody says, Brother James, hold on a minute. I read the same Bible that you do. And they say, In my opinion... Homosexuality is okay. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a liberty that we have in Christ. Some people genuinely believe that. And let's think about that for just a moment. You know, we had a book and a chapter and a verse 
that put dietary restrictions here into the realm of opinion, didn't we? Where would the book, the chapter, and the verse be that puts homosexuality into the same realm of opinion? There is no book, chapter, and verse that teaches that homosexuality is a Christian liberty. On the contrary, the Bible teaches us that homosexuality is a vile affection. It's a vile affection. Romans 1.26, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. What are these vile affections Paul's talking about here? For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense or that reward for their error which was meet, which was fitting. God's Word tells us very plainly here that homosexuality is a vile affection. It's not an alternative lifestyle. It's not in the realm of Christian liberty or opinion where you know, you can be that way and it's alright. It don't matter. When God has spoken about something, as He has about homosexuality, we have no position whatsoever to interject our opinion at all. We get no opinion. Where God clearly says that something is sinful in His Word, we get no opinion. And if we try to move homosexuality out of the realm of faith where it's forbidden, where God commands against it, and say, oh, you can do it, you have, you have liberty to do it, we're guilty of lawlessness. Guilty of lawlessness. A second example of lawlessness would be loosing unauthorized worship. Loosing unauthorized worship. We cannot use liberty, which God surely does give us in some areas of life, we can't use that to justify unauthorized worship, like worshiping God with instruments of music. Now, some people say, Brother James, you know, I read the very same Bible that you do, and they say, in my opinion, instrumental music is, is okay. It's a, a liberty we have in Christ. Some people believe that. We had a book, chapter, and verse that put circumcision into the realm of opinion. Where's the book, chapter, and verse that would lead us to believe that God put worshiping with instruments of music into the same realm, the realm of opinion? I don't know of a book or a chapter or verse we could go to that would lead us to believe that we're at liberty to worship God with instruments of music, okay? The Bible tells us what type of worship we should offer up to God, what kind of music he, He's asked for in His Word. Colossians 3.16, He said, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Paul told the church at Colossae and the church at Ephesus to sing, to sing music to Him. To sing it from the heart. If there's an instrument involved, that would be it. It would be our own hearts. That's where we make the melody, according to Ephesians 5.19. Making melody in our hearts to the Lord. Worship is us giving to God what pleases Him. It's us giving to God what pleases Him. And what pleases Him is what He's revealed in His Word. And what He's revealed in His Word, what He's asked for when it comes to worship, is singing of music from our hearts, not playing music from any instrument. Okay, So that's why we sing, right? When we come together like this, that's why we sing, because that's the type of worship God has asked for. And it's all about pleasing Him. I really like instrumental music. You probably do too. But it's not about pleasing me. When we come here, it's not about what sounds good to me. Worship is us giving to God what pleases Him. Entertainment is us giving to us what pleases us. There's a place for entertainment. But we don't need to confuse it with worship. 
Worship is about serving God. 1 Peter 2.16, Bible tells us here, not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. We need to be concerned about serving God. You know, even in areas where we do have liberties, this isn't one of them, but even in areas that we do have liberty, our, our goal and our, uh, ought to be to please God and serve God in the exercise of all of our liberties. Third example of lawlessness would be loosing the commandments of the Lord. Loosing the commandments of the Lord. Some would insist that we set women at liberty to be teachers and preachers in the assemblies of the church. Now we had a book, chapter, and verse that put holy days and the Sabbath in the realm of opinion. What book, chapter, and verse would we turn to that would lead us to believe that God put women preachers and teachers in the same realm, the realm of opinion? I don't know of any book, chapter, and verse that teaches that's a liberty that we have. But we do know what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's a shame for women to speak in the church. So God makes it very clear. He had the role of men and the role of women in the home and in the church is clearly defined in the Word of God. Okay? And you know, we, we need to skip down to verse 37 for just a moment to understand that what Paul just said concerning the role of women was not his own personal opinion. It was not his own personal preference. What he just told the church in Corinth and what he's telling us today through that same word is a commandment of the Lord. Verse 37, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are my own personal preferences. No. My own personal opinions. No. He said these things are the commandments of the Lord. Now, are we at liberty in any way, shape, or form to disobey the commandments of the Lord? Never. We never have a liberty ever to disobey the commandments of the Lord. So you see, this is something that is a matter of faith and we need to keep it in the realm of faith. And if we try to move it over here into the realm of opinion and say, well, you can have women preachers and teachers, it don't matter. We're guilty of lawlessness. We're loosing where God has not loosed, allowing for something that God's Word does not allow for. I want to say one more thing before we move away from the error of lawlessness. Most people today claim that the safest and most loving place to be here on this chart would be right here in the realm of, of lawlessness. And that's sort of due to the culture that we live in today. We live in a culture today that tells us, well, you do what you do, you believe what you believe, and I'm going to do what I do, and I'm going to believe what I believe, and you're okay, and I'm okay, and we just, we just need, don't need to make issue about it. If we don't agree or... If, we don't see things the same way. We just need to leave one another alone. We just need to love one another. You do your thing and I'll do mine and everybody's okay. That's the culture we live in today. Okay? Do whatever you want. Don't judge. Just love and accept anything and everything that people do. And you know, if you even begin to stand up for your own Bible-based convictions, you know, you're shot down as unloving and divisive and mean and hateful. Right? That's the culture we live in today. And a lot of people would tell us this is where you need to be, right over here where everything goes. 
Everything goes. We can play fast and loose with all of it. It's all opinions. Just do whatever you want. That's the biggest lie in all the world today, that this is the, the most loving place to be. It's the biggest lie in all the world. And I'm going to show you why. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus was teaching. In the context of Matthew 24, what I believe He's doing is He's predicting, foretelling His coming in judgment against and destruction of the city of Jerusalem. History tells us that that happened about 40 years after Jesus uttered the words we're going to read here from Matthew chapter 24. In that context, foretelling the destruction of Jerusalem, He talks about a, a series of events that were going to unfold before the destruction of Jerusalem. And look at one of the things that Jesus said would happen leading up to that. He said, Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And that happened. That happened in the decades and years leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. Many false prophets in the land of Judea. Many people were led astray. Many people were deceived to follow these men. And we still have that going on today, don't we? Many false teachers in the world today. Many people have been deceived by false teaching, false preaching. And I want you to look at what Jesus said would happen because of that. Many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And because iniquity... You know what the word iniquity really means when you study it? It means lawlessness. It means lawlessness. And because iniquity or lawlessness shall abound... Why was iniquity and lawlessness abounding? Because so many had been deceived. Why were they deceived? Because there were so many false prophets and teachers. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound... The love of many shall wax cold. The love of many shall wax cold. Why did their love wax cold? Because iniquity, lawlessness was abounding. When iniquity and lawless abound, it doesn't cause love to get bigger and bigger. And No. The lo true love waxes cold. It waxes cold when people won't stand up for the truth of God's Word and what it teaches. That's, I don't care what culture tells you. They're going to tell you it's loving to be quiet and not stand up for the truth. I'm here to tell you Jesus said we need to stand up for the truth. It's the truth that saves people. It's the truth that sets us free. And if we truly love people and we truly love God, we're going to love them enough and love God enough to tell them the truth and not water it down in any way. Let's look at what true love demands. 1 John 5 and 2. 1 John 5 and 2. This is what true love demands. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we do what? When we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. John didn't say true love means you throw the commandments of God out the door. He said, true love demands that we love God and we love Him enough to keep His commandments and encourage other people to do likewise. True love demands that we love one another. We encourage one another. We correct one another. We humbly encourage everybody to let faith be faith and let opinion be opinion. So the, the error of lawlessness, listen, where God gives us an inch of liberty, we cannot take a mile. We cannot take a mile. Christian liberty is not a license to sin. It's not a license to sin. We cannot inflate the realm of opinion and make it any larger or broader than what God does in His Word. Because if we do that, if we blow the realm of opinion up to be very, very broad, 
We're guilty of the error of lawlessness. And when we're in lawlessness, we've left the realm of faith. We're in the realm of sin. Now, there's a third error I want to show you on the chart. And that's the error of the stumbling block. You'll see it in the lower center part of your chart. The error of the stumbling block. With liberty and freedom comes great responsibility. And in the realm of opinion, we've got to exercise our liberties in such a way that we put others first. That we put the salvation and the edification of others first. Paul said in Romans 14 verse 13, concerning the error of the stumbling block, in Romans chapter 14 verse 13, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. It was common for Corinthian meat markets to sell meat that had been offered to false gods and idols. Now, those idols that they worshipped in the city of Corinth back there, let me tell you what they were. They were big pieces of rock, big pieces of wood, and big pieces of gold and silver. That's all they were. That's all those idols were in those temples. Rock, wood, gold, and silver. Therefore, the meat that was offered to that idol It was meat. It was just meat. It wasn't polluted. It wasn't contaminated in any way. The idol was nothing. Therefore, the meat offered to that idol was just meat. Just meat. And it was common for that meat that was offered to those false gods and idols to be sold in meat markets there in Corinth in the first century. Now, a Christian was at liberty to shop in those first century meat markets and buy that meat and eat it without questioning whether or not it had been offered to an idol. Christians were at liberty to eat that meat without offending God in any way, so long as their conscience allowed them to do so. And Paul addressed this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians 8 and 8, he says concerning this meat offered to idols, but meat commendeth us not to God. What kind of meat we eat or don't eat doesn't bring us any closer to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. Don't matter. Eating this meat offered to idols, it's here in the realm of opinion. God's indifferent. Do it, don't do it. It don't matter. But, verse 9, look at the warning here. But, take heed. It means watch out. Lest by any means this liberty, it's a liberty. But be careful that this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which has knowledge, if you know that that meat's just meat and you can eat it, it's fine. If any man has that knowledge and he sets that meat at the, at the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him that is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom... Christ died. Paul's conscience allowed him to eat that meat, but not every man had Paul's conscience on this. A weak brother might see Paul eating that meat that was offered to idols, and he might be encouraged to go against his own conscience and eat that meat, and he would actually be eating that meat in a sinful manner. Now this is important. I want you to catch this. Romans 14 verse 23. In the realm of faith... God's Word is the ultimate authority. If we go against God's Word, we commit sin. In the realm of opinion, our conscience is the final authority. And if we go against our conscience in the realm of opinion, we commit sin. 
In Romans 14, 23, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat. The word damned simply means condemned. A man who eats meat, that when his conscience condemns him for doing so, and he that doubteth is damned or condemned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. And whatsoever is not of faith is sin. If a man is convinced and convicted that to eat pork, he just can't eat pork. And he goes ahead and does it anyway. He is condemned. He is condemning him on his own self. He's condemning his own conscience by doing that. And the Bible teaches that he is not eating of faith. He's actually eating in a sinful way. You say, how in the world could we go against our conscience and sin? Well, remember, in the realm of opinion, your conscience is what rules. Your conscience isn't going to be my conscience. I, I guarantee you here this morning, there are people who have a different conscience than I do about a lot of things. And if I go against my conscience in these areas of opinion where I have liberty, I'm, I'm in sin. And if you go against your conscience, you're in sin. We need to let our own conscience rule here in the realm of opinion. And we need to let one another have the liberty to exercise their own opinions and their own liberties. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 8.13. Wherefore, Paul said, If meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest, my brother, or, uh, lest I make my brother to offend. Paul knew he could eat meat offered to idols, but he said, You know what? If that's going to offend my brother, I won't eat another bite of meat my whole life. If it's going to offend my brother, though I have all the liberty in the world to do it, if it's going to offend my brother, I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to be the stumbling block for that brother. If we become a stumbling block to people, if we march around and parade around and say, well, I've got liberty to do this or do that, and I'm going to do it, and it don't matter what you think, you don't have to like it, just unfriend me. And if that's our attitude about things, that's our attitude about things. We... we we better be careful that we're not becoming a stumbling block. Paul didn't act that way. But if, if we become a stumbling block to others, the Bible says, but when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. When we become a stumbling block to others, we are sinning against the Lord Jesus. So this error of the stumbling block is just as bad as the error of legalism. It's just as bad as the error of lawlessness. And, and we don't want to get caught up in it. If we become a stumbling block, we're operating outside the realm of faith and we're in the realm of sin. Now, this all might seem real, real simple in theory. Okay? I hope I've made it simple in theory. I mean, there, that chart has a lot of boxes, a lot of arrows going different directions. I know it looks complicated, but I hope by now it makes sense. I've tried to explain it in a way that is easy for you to understand. And I'm going to admit to you this morning that in theory this is very simple and straightforward. But when we make real life application of these things, it can be much more difficult than this. I'm just going to be honest with you about it. This can be a whole lot more challenging in real life. And I'll tell you why. Because if we dig down deep enough, almost all of us are going to draw a line between faith and opinion in a little bit different place. And that's just the truth. 
If we look hard enough, we're going to find the slightest of differences and disagreements about the Scriptures. We are. So how does understanding all of these things on the chart help us achieve unity, even if at the end of the day we're always going to disagree? How do we make all this work in real life? It's easy to see how we can't have unity when we consider two opposite extremes. And I'll give it to you this morning. That's sort of what I presented to you. Okay, Two opposite extremes. Okay, Let's say the congregation here, and this isn't the case, but let's just say if the congregation here, this half of the congregation are all legalists. They take everything that's a liberty and they try to make a law about it. They're all a bunch of legalists. Okay? And let's say this side of the congregation is all lawless. They take everything that's a matter of faith and try to put it here in the realm of opinion. Any, anything goes. How's this congregation going to be able to have unity? You, you won't. Because you guys are on two opposite extremes. Lawlessness and legalism and you can't have unity. Okay? So it's easy to see how we can't have unity when we consider two opposite extremes. But what about when we agree in almost everything but have slight differences of belief in some areas? Can we still be at peace? Can we still have unity even if we disagree? Do we have to agree on every little nuance concerning the work and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Do we? Do we have to agree on how we apply every single verse in the Bible that speaks to marriage, divorce, and remarriage? How about prophecy? Do we have to agree on the interpretation of every word and every passage in the book of Revelation to be able to have unity? Let me ask you this. Who here this morning is drawing the line perfectly between faith and opinion? Who here this morning is drawing the line perfectly? Well, I'd like to think I am. Right? I'd like to think I'm drawing the line perfectly. And I draw the line, though, kind of like that. That's how I draw the line. I'm off a little bit, maybe. You saying, Brother James? There ain't no way you're drawing the line perfectly because I'm drawing the line perfectly. Maybe you're sitting here this morning saying, well, I'm drawing the line perfectly. Maybe you are. But lo and behold, you're drawing the line like that. And that's different than mine. You know, maybe it's not about you and me. Maybe it's our favorite preacher or our favorite evangelist. Maybe he's drawing the line perfectly. But you know, he draws the line kind of like that. That's different than mine. That's different than yours. And besides all that, we have different favorites now, don't we? <laughs> so we wouldn't ever agree on that. How do we handle our differences and our disagreements? How are we going to get along if we can't? If we all draw the line in different places. I believe the third and final part of the restoration motto is the key to all this. In faith, unity. In opinion, liberty. In all things, charity. In all things, charity. Now, Brother James, that doesn't tell me exactly where to draw the line. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. But I'll tell you what it does tell us. It tells us the essential ingredient which will guide us all into a better understanding of where God wants us to draw that line. If we'll have patience and be kind and compassionate and love one another, 
as we grow together, we can all get to a place where we're hopefully drawing those lines closer to where God wants us to. I want to tell you a little bit about myself. I obeyed the gospel when I was 12 years old. On my 12th birthday, I obeyed the gospel in baptism. I did not understand everything perfectly the day I became a Christian. I didn't. I understand some things differently today than I did when I was 12 years old. Okay? So these lines that we draw between faith and opinion, which represent our own convictions, they, my lines have moved and shifted through the years as I've grown in knowledge and grown in understanding. And I suspect if the pattern holds true that those lines may continue to shift and move around a little bit as I continue to grow in the Word and grow in understanding. Those lines may shift around a little more yet. Now maybe you're different than me. Maybe you understood it all perfectly the day you were baptized. Maybe you knew it all from day one. Maybe you haven't learned a thing since the day of your baptism. I kind of doubt it. I kind of doubt it. Look, since we're all learning and growing together in our faith, since we're all learning and growing together, let's have patience. Let's have humility. Let's love one another through that process. Now listen, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I don't want you to think, well, there's Brother James up there saying all we've got to do is love one another and these disagreements don't matter. If you take anything away from what I said today, don't take that away. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying we just all love one another and differences don't matter. Okay? If I preach or say something that you believe is not quite right, love me enough to come to me and tell me about it. You do that for me and I'll do that for you. If I'm the Apollos, you be the Aquila or the Priscilla. Okay? And if we'll do that for one another, if we'll do what James 5, 19 and 20 tells us to do, and we'll do it out of love and patience and humility, I guarantee you we're all going to be growing closer to where God wants us to draw these lines. James 5, 19, Brethren, if any do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Another place in the Scripture says that charity or, or love shall hide a multitude of sins. So you see, when we love one another enough to go to one another, if I've erred or you're erred, you have erred, and if we will go to that person who has erred and lovingly, kindly correct them and convert them and bring them back into the truth of God's Word, we can have peace, we can have unity, and we can grow closer and closer to where God wants us to be. If you come to me in love with a different idea or understanding about something, I'm going to do my best to love you enough to listen to what you got to say and try to understand where you're coming from. I'm not going to name any names, but I have you ever done anything like that? Have you ever had anyone come to you and say, look at this, or have you ever considered that? I'm not going to name any names, but I have been many times I've had brethren, elders, evangelists come to me and say, hey, have you ever considered this? Have you ever considered that? I've sat down and discussed differences and disagreements through the years with so many people. And you know, in the moment of that, that discussion, I didn't change the other person's mind and they might not have changed my mind. 
But you know, by, by, by being open-minded and patient and humble and listening to what other people have to say, I think through the years that's helped me to have a deeper understanding of things and maybe even slightly change some of my, my beliefs. And it's been a blessing to me to, to sit down with someone who has a different idea than I do and look at it and try to learn from it. And hey, maybe I throw it in the trash. Maybe it's no good. But maybe there's something there for me to learn. And if I'll sit down and be more willing to listen than I am willing to speak and teach, maybe I can learn something. Maybe you can too. And if we'll all have that attitude in all things charity, we can have peace, we can have unity, even if we disagree about some things. We'll be working on it in the meantime, won't we? We'll be working on striving for the unity that the Lord always wants us to have, the unity of the faith. So this morning, I hope that we can renew our commitment to striving for unity in the realm of faith, striving to allow one another to exercise their own liberties in the realm of opinion, and in all things matters of faith and matters of opinion, let's show love, let's show humility, let's show compassion. Let's all commit to following the guidance of God's Word as we do that. Because if we strive or try to build outside the foundation of God's Word, we're laboring in vain. I've tried to lay a solid foundation of scriptural principles from God's Word in the delivery of this lesson to you today. I've tried to base what I've taught you straight from the Bible. Because that's the only way we'll achieve the unity of the faith. By building on the rock-solid foundation of God's Word. Jesus taught in Matthew 7, 24, the parable of two builders. Jesus said, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, those who hear the Word of God and doeth them, Jesus says, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, Jesus said, the person who heard the word of God, but for whatever reason didn't do it, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Let's build our faith. Let's build our beliefs. Let's build our life, every aspect of it, on the rock-solid foundation of God's Word. If we'll do that, we can never go astray. We will never go astray. Thank you for your attention this morning. Thank you for inviting me to come and share these things with you. I hope they're helpful. And I hope that you can take these things and go away from this place today, a better servant of Jesus Christ. I hope that uh, He receives the glory for all that we are and all that we do. Let's continue to serve Him with love together. We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you're here this morning and need the Lord, if you need to obey the gospel or you need the prayers of the church, we want to help you this morning. If you have a spiritual need, make it known by coming forward and having a seat on the front while we stand and while we sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.